Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with another sideline sportscast. As always, I'm as always I'm here with my co-host Brian. Brian, how you doing tonight? Doing good. Uh, recording tonight on St. Patrick's Day, so uh, local Irish to you, man. Oh. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, we'll see. You know, a whole lot has happened uh, in this last week since we've recorded last week. Uh, the NFL has just really kind of been exploding. But in today's episode, we are really going to focus on Drew Brees hanging it up. Washington adding some Fitz magic, the Bears signing the Red Rifle, and the Patriots signing just about everybody that's left. Else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but before we hop into those topics, let's start it out with what we're drinking tonight. In honor of St. Patty's Day, we are sticking Irish and we are going to drink some Killian's Irish Red. So, if you're ready, let's go ahead and crack these bad boys open. Cheers. Uh, disclaimer I may have already had a couple of these. Uh, Oh, I see you got a, a can. I got the nice, you know, long neck here. So. Mm-hmm. No, I got, I got bottles. I got bottles. Just having some issues. So here we go. Yep. 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 That's that classic Killian. I mean, we both had this beer before, right? So I mean, oh yeah. You know, nice amber flavor, a little caramel on on, on the top. Yeah, a little um, malty. Could have went with the easy Guinness choice, but uh, I like what we did with the amber ale. See, I'm not I'm not the biggest Guinness fan, and I know that's probably gonna make some people mad. But my all time like favorite drink is an Irish car bomb. So well, I would. That's what we were doing. Uh, listen, if we did some Irish car bombs, there ain't no way we're getting through this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now Killian's holds a very special place, kind of in mine Emily's history. Um, uh, on our first date, we went out to uh, trivia night, and I let her pick the beer, and she picked Killian's. I was super proud of her um, that she didn't pick Bud Light or Miller Light or something like that. So I knew she was uh, she was special from just her beer choice. So Killian's will always hold a, a special place in my heart. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget to check us out, guys, on our social medias, sideline casters at both Facebook and Twitter. Brian, why don't you take us into the first topic here? Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned in the opening, the New England Patriots are just racking up the players. Big brain Belichick over there in New England um, signing just about everyone in sight. Over the last three days, the Patriots have signed 13 free agents, including their quarterback from last year, Cam Newton, two wide receivers and tight ends, uh, Joni Smith and Hunter Henry, which locked up pretty much the two tight ends on the, on the market. Um, at least the two worth mentioning, um, in total, the Patriots spent $155 million in guaranteed money, most in free agent history in the NFL. Logan, this is not how Bill Belichick usually does business up in New England. What does this tell you about Belichick, Belichick, and what does it mean for the Patriots this coming season? So with the exception of last year, Bill Belichick has always kind of fielded a team that's capable of winning. Um, Bill Belichick, I have a lot of respect for, as we talked about in previous podcasts. He's very deliberate in everything that he does. Uh, you know, he knew last season was going to be rough for them. Uh, I don't think he thought it was going to be as rough with with uh, Newton kind of not being what they thought, but it was a deliberate act, and, and it was a deliberate act to make a big splash in this free agency. Uh, he knew that they were going to be under the cap. I believe they had the second most cap room behind, I think, the Jets. Uh, he also knew that the you know the cap was going down since probably about June, uh, 
and that this splurge was kind of planned in order to bring them kind of back into relevancy. You know, Bill Belichick is always like one of the smartest guys in the room in terms of football. So I have to believe that this is a very intentional thing by him and the Patriots. So, uh, but before we get into like the signings, I think it's important to note one thing that the, the AFC East is not the division of past years. You know, the Bills are a really good team. They're defending division champions. The Dolphins are on the cusp of being a good team. The Jets are still the Jets, but they do have the second number overall pick uh, in the draft this year. So Bilicek needed to make this team good and make them good quickly. He does not have the time to go through a standard multi-year rebuild. It was a win-now plan. So with that in mind, you know, Belichick went out and signed everybody. Um, he knows what he wants from these guys and how they're going to fit into their game plan for next year uh, and probably even like the year after that. Uh, the only question on, in my mind for this team in terms of their signings was at quarterback. I really was kind of surprised they didn't make a move to sign someone a little bit better Cam than Cam. Um, this is probably due to money. Um even though they had a lot of cap room, it's it's hard to get a veteran quarterback for like I think he's got one point five guaranteed. So really, that's that's pretty low. I think that actually might be the pretty close to the minimum for him. Um, so it was probably value for for dollar was probably there. Um, you know, Belichick knows that Cam isn't consistent enough to consistently get the ball downfield to receivers. Uh, but he does know that he has the strength to get to the tight end. So what did he go out and do? He goes out and signs the two best tight ends in the free market. Uh, kind of reminiscent of the Gronk-Hernandez days in, in the New England. Uh, you know, Belichick made that twin tight end scheme work for them. They moved the ball really effectively. I think we're going to go back to that um, in terms of a similar scheme. Uh, but it probably uh, won't be as effective. But it certainly, I think, will be more effective than what they had last year. Um but I do think the one thing that Belichick has to do is something he hasn't done in the past is he's going to have to spend a first-round pick on a quarterback this year. The problem with the Patriots is they drafted that 15th spot. You know, By that time, I think four of the top five quarterbacks are projected. Like the only guy left is probably going to be Alabama's uh, Mac Jones. And even then, he may have to be off the board. So if the Patriots really want to get a guy like, say, a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields, they're going to have to move up in the draft this year, you know, uh, spend some more capital on that, spend some draft picks over there. But this is definitely a a win now situation by the, by the uh, Patriots. And, you know, the one problem with a spending spree like this is that it traditionally hasn't worked out in the past. Uh, the Patriots are the sixth team in NFL history to spend over $100 million in free agency. And none of those prior teams have won a playoff game. So I don't know that I'm ready to see the uh, Patriots win a playoff game this year. I do think that even after all this money, they're probably still the third best team in the AFC East because of Cam. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I, I agree with your you know overall assessment of what they're going to do next year. But you know I think this came at a time where they really didn't have a choice. Um, like you mentioned, Belichick doesn't really have the time to sit around and do what you would call, you know, a traditional rebuild. Um, he's 68 years old. You know, he's chasing Shula for the wins record. You know, I know he would rather win a Super Bowl than have the wins record, I would guess. But, um, you know, you look at that team from last year, you know, giving them credit for the number of players they had sit out because of COVID, 
every position, you know, they weren't really locked up with superb talent. You know, their defense was mediocre to middle of the road, depending on who they were playing. And the thing with New England, and I think there's, you know, they still have that reputation of having Bill Belichick, being a winning franchise, Robert Kraft and that fan base, they're not going to let them have more than one or two years of mediocrity. So I think the Patriots were kind of forced to go out and get as many free agents as possible. I'm not sure it was really a hard sell to get these players to come up there. I'm sure Belichick and the rest of New England uh, front office, including Robert Kraft, has a plan to get them back on track. I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these players they kind of picked up in free agency actually get dealt somewhere. Um, you know, I think it's great to have both Smith and Henry at tight end, but, you know, maybe that was a strategical move to maybe package them with some draft picks to go after somebody like Deshaun Watson, maybe. I know he wants to leave. He said he's not going to play. He's on the market potentially. They just signed, Houston just signed Tyrod Taylor, so I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they use that to still make some moves, move up in the draft. Um, you know, Belichick's going to get that team. Look at last year. You know, he's going to get that team six, seven, eight wins with his coaching alone. I, I'm a very big proponent of the fact that he is going to take mediocre players and build a winning team because that's just what he does, and he's the best coach in the game. So. You know, these moves were necessary, like you said, Buffalo, and I'm actually going to give Miami a lot of credit that, you know, they won 10 games last year, and forgoing the worst possible situation happening in Week 17 for them, they make the playoffs, and based on the roster New England has, they are the third team, and they needed talent, and until they get a quarterback, they're going to be the third team in that in that division. And I'd like to see what they do at quarterback because I'm not going to lie. If they get a quarterback, they're going to make me pretty nervous, especially with that guy on the sidelines making the calls as he has for the last 20 years. So, you know, never count them out. I didn't count them out last year until about week 12 when it was almost statistically impossible for them to make the playoffs. If they get a quarterback, they could be scary. Yeah. So do you think Belichick's at all chasing Brady, you know, or trying to – redefine himself after Brady? I mean, you know, here's the thing. The first ring with Brady, you know, Brady comes off the bench in the playoffs. You know, arguably that team was bound to win the Super Bowl that year with or without Brady. I don't know if Brady was the reason they won that first Super Bowl. But I think just like Brady wanted to go to Tampa, neither one of them are going to say it, right? But they're both men who have been playing and coaching in the NFL for two decades, three decades, I guarantee you that he, just like Brady, has at least a thought in his mind, listen, I want to prove these doubters wrong. You know, I'm the best coach to ever coach this game. Just like Brady is going to argue he's the best quarterback. Whether they say it or not, I guarantee you they're both thinking that to some extent because nobody wants their legacy questioned, which it's crazy that it's being questioned after they win six rings. Um, together, but I guarantee you it's it's a, it's a thought in both of their minds, including Belichick. There's people who say that Belichick got it because of Brady. Brady got it because of Belichick. I'm sure they both want to quiet the critics on was, each side. Yeah, it, it was a mutual gain. I mean, you have a real cerebral coach and a really 
smart quarterback. I mean, they're just they're going to make each other better. I don't think you know that dynasty really would have worked without both of them working together. Um, certainly, I think that New England still would have been a great team with another quarterback. But say early on, if Brady would have been dealt to, I don't know, the, the Cowboys, Cincinnati, you know, one of those mid-level teams, would he have developed into the player that he is today? I don't, I don't think so. I think he probably would have never really got a shot. You know, but no, they're and I, you know, they're. I'm sure they see each other still on occasion. I guarantee you that when the spotlight's not on, they're kicking back, drinking a beer, smoking a cigar, and laughing about all this. But they're men. They're competitive. Nobody likes their legacy tarnished. So I'm sure they both jab each other back and forth and want to have the last laugh at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, moving on. They say he was undersized and, the, and teams often overlooked him at the onset of his career, but he became a huge success. Drew Brees, uh, a statistical giant whose right arm was extraordinary, uh, known for his accuracy and and quick release, but after 20 sensational seasons, he's hanging it up, heading to the booth. Um, Breeze officially announced his retirement on Sunday, uh, which only kind of begins his countdown to uh, to Canton. Uh, Breeze was uh, you know synonymous with the city of New Orleans during his career, and is definitely, in my books, a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. Uh, you know, and even one of the best players in NFL history. Um, He's a Super Bowl champion. He's won two Offensive Player of the Years. He's selected to 13 Pro Bowls. He's thrown for over 80,000 yards, 571 touchdowns, 243 interceptions over his career. Brian, no question he's a great quarterback, one of the greatest. But where do you rank him amongst the best quarterbacks in NFL history? Yeah, I'll just before I give my answer, you know, I'll just kind of echo some of the same sentiments that you were you're stating. Great quarterback, definitely somebody that, I think probably everybody was rooting for when they weren't playing his their team. You know, if they're not playing your team, you're probably rooting for this guy. Small, you know, was set out of college. He was going to have problems seeing over the line of scrimmage, let alone, you know, throwing for 5,000 yards in a season. Um, I was reading the other day, you know, he's the only guy to throw for 5,000 yards in multiple seasons, five to be exact. And if, you know, I might quote this wrong, but I think the, the figure was combined. Everybody else, it's like seven. total so um spectacular career first ballot hall of famer love him to death gives back to the community walter man painted walter payton man of the year award um recipient the problem is he's only got the one ring and i wish that he would have gotten more because for me if you've been listening to this podcast i've probably echoed this position multiple times you know it all comes down to winning the big game and you know he got the best of Peyton Manning back in what was it 06 when they played the Colts um, in that Super Bowl and the last five years it's almost been disheartening to see how the Saints have kind of been kicked out of the playoffs every year you know the Minneapolis miracle the pass interference call against the Rams Games where I was rooting for him it just kind of ended in heartbreak. And, you know, I think he's a top 10 quarterback all time. Definitely carried by his statistical dominance. 
but because he's only got the one ring, he probably falls outside the top five, closer to the, you know, eight or nine mark, you know, just to name the few, you know, I, I don't see how you put him again, put him above the, um, you know, Brady, Manning, Montana, Bradshaw, Staubach, Aikman, Young, those guys who all have these multiple rings and had their own impressive careers will probably go down in history, you know, as the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. But I think Drew Brees will always be on the cusp of that conversation. Yeah, Drew Brees is always one of like the you know most interesting guys to watch. Really fun to listen to. Um, I was really surprised when he left, you know, retired this year because. He just restructured his contract back in, in February, so I really thought that kind of meant that he was going to stick around one more year. Um, like you mentioned, this, the Saints have been that Super Bowl-caliber team for the last four or five seasons, you know, especially, you know, when they were kind of hosed twice from, you know, calls and, you know, wonder what could have been. But, you know, I can only surmise that after the injuries of last season, he kind of feels like his body and his arm – have just deteriorated to a point where he can't get them to the Super Bowl anymore. Um, you know, and I think the booth was always going to be there. So I'm surprised he didn't give it one more shot. You know, but, you know, Breeze belongs in the discussion of the best quarterbacks of all time, just based on his numbers alone. Um, he's the first, you know, in, in, uh, the league's all-time list of completions and passing yards, you know, for now at least. Um, you know, he's second in, in passing touchdowns only to Tom Brady. Uh, it's unfortunate, but, you know, Breeze just – he did won that one. He only won the one MVP. Uh, so he did come in second for MVP four more times, but, you know, it doesn't really count. So it definitely kind of puts him behind Brady already. And, and certainly, like you said, I agree. He's behind Manning, who won two Lombardi trophies. He had five MVPs. Um, certainly my number one, Joe Montana, you know, with Super Bowl, four Super Bowls and two MVPs. So both of those guys rank ahead of him as well. So at the minimum, I think he can go as high as fourth. But I'm going to drop him down even lower. Um, you know, besides just the, the one championship and MVP, He's got a couple other, like, dings against him. You know, Breeze was a volume passer. He's second in the NFL with almost, you know, 10,500 pass attempts in his career, which only trails Tom Brady by 47, but Brady's done that in 13 fewer games. You're talking about almost one season. Um, You know, the sheer number of passes Breeze has kind of led to him racking up these yards in the touchdown, but it's also led to him being high on that all-time interceptions list. Uh, Brady rank or Breeze, sorry, ranks 13th all-time, you know, with 243 interceptions. So my point being that Breeze threw the ball well during his career, but he also threw it a lot, which kind of inflated his numbers as compared to some of the other quarterbacks, especially from like previous eras. Uh, so, his numbers are a little bit artificially inflated. Um, and then also, you know, Breeze's playoff record kind of left a little bit to be desired. You know, only one, win, only one win, like we said. You know, but he's made it to, uh, you know, I think the finals 12 times. Uh, he's got a 13-2 to two intercept ratio, touchdown intercept ratio. Uh, in his first six games, you know, one with, with San Diego and then the five with New Orleans. 
Uh, but on that back end, it's it's a little bit more even. It's a fourteen to to eight in terms of touchdowns interceptions. Um, and uh, he threw three picks last season in the home loss to Brady alone. So he's gone just nine and nine overall in the postseason. You know, so his it hasn't been great, especially when he's gone outside the Superdome. Uh, you know, his completion percentage has really dropped down. Uh, I think, you know, I think I saw a stat that, like, in the Superdome, like, he's got, like, almost a 70. Outside, he's, like, a 58. So, it's certainly a drop there. Um, I'm going to have Breeze a little bit higher than you. I'm going to put him at 6 overall on the all-time list. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that number is going to drop kind of as the years go on. In all likelihood, Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, Russell Wilson – those guys are all going to pass him, you know, in terms of s- stats. Uh, they've already got one Super Bowl win each. Uh, so I think eventually that he's going to fall for me down to that 10, 11 spot. Um, maybe not, like 9, 10, I guess. Um, yeah, but I think overall it's not going to impact his legacy. You kind of cast a doubt on his Hall of Fame career. Breeze is a all-time great quarterback, uh, a really fun guy to watch, and has led to some of the like most memorable games that I can remember over the last you know decade. So, yeah, for sure, I agree. I think you know the injury to his ribs last year, and then the uh, last few weeks of being home with his many children have probably uh, lessened his desire to come back and try again. I think his best seasons are probably behind him and they had their best chances the last couple of years. So I think he's making the right call. Um, but that's kind of segues us perfectly into the next topic, which is, you know, with Breeze heading to the booth, the goal for the saints is determining who will be the starter for the, for this 2021 season. Um, they seem comfortable with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill as their top options to replace Breeze at quarterback, both of them receiving deals this past week. Um, head coach Sean Payne told Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick show that they are um, there. There are a few things that may still be out there, uh, but he sees those two computing to be the starter. Um, this offseason, they signed, um, as I mentioned, Winston to when you deal with a base value of five point five million and gave Hill an extension worth one hundred and forty million over four years. But of course, that comes with the caveat that that extension is made up of uh, avoidable years and it's merely a mix. A mechanism to free up some much needed cap space. I'll just say real quick, I think that's the stupidest concept ever, and I can't believe they let teams do that with all these voidable years, but uh, I digress. Yeah, that's, um, a, that's a topic we need to get into. Right. So, Logan, who do you see under center for the Saints next year? Hill, Watson, or someone else? So, I want to start out by pointing out that Sean Payton left the door open that the Saints are still kind of looking at maybe taking a shot at either Russell Wilson or just Sean Watson, you know, as he said, there's maybe a few, a few things still out there. Um, I highly doubt that these could really be options. The Saints would essentially have to gut their entire roster due to cap issues or dramatically hammer, you know, future contracts, adding voidable years to everybody and just carrying over a whole bunch of dead cap, you know. Um, so I don't I don't see this as a real potential um going forward so i think it's going to come down to the hill and and a winston um i think the fact that the the saints signed and extended these guys means they kind of believe that they could be the franchise guy going forward 
but I mean, I think that both of them have like sample size issues where they don't have enough, you know, experience or reps with the team to kind of fully commit to either one of them going forward long term. Uh, you know, last season, you know, Peyton gave Hill kind of the keys of the offense after you know drawing plenty of attention with his versatility and, and appearing on the special teams plays when Breeze was there. Uh, kind of playing that hybrid role as a gadget type player, but you know Hin- he'll end up making some really good plays last year and some really bad plays. So uh, in his four starts, he was a solid three and one, uh, recording a seventy-two point seven completion percentage. Uh, racked up you know fourteen hundred all-purpose yards, twelve all-purpose touchdowns. You know made all the necessary throws. You know, but he desired kind of a little bit more of that mobility and speed to kind of make up for some of that. Um, certainly, that that's a trend with young players going on. Um, the kind of the hit on Hill has always kind of been he holds the ball too long at times, and and some of his decision making is kind of questionable. Uh, last season, he fumbled an alarming ten times. That's a, that's a lot in only four games. You know, so certainly there's there's some issues there, but. I think in the case of Winston, the sample size is a little bit larger. Um, six years in the league, five of which with Tampa, where he played in 76 games. Um, he had a less than desirable completion percentage as well, like a uh, 61.4%. But Winston has a big arm and can make all the throws. Uh, Winston's thrown for 121 touchdown passes, but also thrown for... Uh, 88 interceptions. I think he's the only guy to throw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions in one season. Uh, and he's also had the fumble issue too. He had he's had fum- 50 fumbles in his his career. Um, Winston, he's in a better system than he was in Tampa um, with better coaching. Uh, I think he's matured a lot as a player. Uh, he's kind of moved past some of those off the field issues that have been a real concern going all the way back to his college days. Uh, in my opinion, Hill got the job last season because of his experience and kind of tenure with the team. After all, Winston hadn't been there that long. He hadn't even been there a full calendar year, so I don't think they were ready to, to kind of give him the keys yet. Uh, going forward, I think Winston's definitely the most talented passer on the team, but I think Hill's maybe a little bit more athletic. I think we'll see kind of Winston as a starter with Hill continuing his role to take over the um, kind of special plays, uh, gadget kind of guy, um, and that offense, kind of like he did with Drew Brees. But I think the end result is that Hill will see more snaps than he did with with Brees. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say Winston is the starter going into next year. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the problem with Hill has always been, you know, his successes come with trickery. Um, you know, he comes in, the defense isn't sure, is it a run, is it a pass? He certainly has the arm, but I think when you're talking about, you know, quarterback prototype, you know, who's going to come in and sling the ball around, I think you have to go with the guy that has thrown. Um, and I think that last year in Tampa, he actually went through 40 touchdown passes. Um, I think he's going to be the guy. He knows the system now. And hey, he's had LASIK surgery, so now he can see who's on his team and who isn't, right? So... Um, I'm not a huge fan of Jameis, but I just don't know if Taysen Hill is the guy that's going to be your quarterback of the future. And I think he's going to play a vital role in the offense, but I think his role is not that of the guy under center. I think Winston's the guy who, if he puts in the effort this offseason, can really step in 
and be that gunslinger that that Saints, Saints offense requires. I know they have Alvin Kamara, but let's face it, the Saints is a passing offense. They have Michael Thomas. He is not going to be happy if he doesn't get the ball, mm-hmm. and they've paid him a lot of money. So I guarantee you that unless Taysom Hill does something this offseason to show that he can take the snap, get the ball out quick, make good decisions, throw accurate passes, I think this is Jameis's job to lose unless they bring in a third party. And to be honest, the way things are going right now with quarterbacks and free agency, if a move doesn't happen here soon, I don't think one's going to happen. I think that um, Russell Wilson ends up staying in Seattle. I think Watson will get moved. And I think it's going to happen during the draft. And it's going to be a big blockbuster move, mm. maybe to New England. But mm. I can't see how Houston hangs on to him. But I don't think he ends up going to New Orleans because I just don't think he wants to go there. So um, we'll wait and see. But at the end of the day, I think this is Jameis's job to lose. Um, you know, props to him for, you know, getting a deal. Um, obviously money wise, they think Taysom, Taysom Hill is a little bit, uh, more valuable, but I don't think that's because of his quarterback play. I think that's because of his athleticism and, um, his ability to kind of go anywhere on the field that they need him to go and be successful. So do you see either of these guys being the long-term no, and yeah, I think to be honest with you, they're probably kicking themselves that they got rid of um, Teddy Bridgewater when they did, because even though Teddy Bridgewater didn't play great for Carolina, um, I think that they would have liked to have kept him. Because if you remember, was it two years ago when he came in for New Orleans and went like five and zero when Breeze was out? I think developing him, if they would have, I'm sure there was a conversation that happened two years ago where Breeze was like, listen, I'm ready to play another three, four, five years. Um, You know, he has his rib injury this year, which kind of, you know, I've heard people say, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, rib injuries are no joke. There's people that have had one broken rib who have said years later that they will have shooting pain throughout their rib cage um, just because it never heals the same as it was when before it was broken. So to break multiple ribs, I don't think Drew Brees was prepared for what long-term effects that was going to have. And I think if he would have, if the saints would have known two years ago that Brees was going to be done after this year, I think they would have held on to Teddy Bridgewater. And I think he might've been an answer, but I don't think either one of these guys is their quarterback of more than two, three years tops. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So why don't you take us into the uh, the next sport here? All right. Sadly gonna, enough, NFL is done. Yeah, well, well, I'm sure we'll have some more. There's going to be plenty of uh, NFL news coming forward. But we'll switch gears go to the NBA. Uh, after electing a star-studded class of 2020, uh, Hall of Fame class of 2020, uh, which was led by NBA legends Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, and the late Kobe Bryant, the original 2020 ceremony was delayed and relocated due to the coronavirus pandemic. However, the Basketball Hall of Fame will officially enshrine two Hall of Fame classes this year in 2021. This year's nominees include nine first-time finalists headlined by the, by the ninth winningest coach in NBA history, Rick Adelman, two-time NBA champion, 11-time NBA All-Star, Chris Bosh, five-time NBA champion and defensive first-team selection, Michael Cooper, 
NBA Finals MVP and 10-time All-Star Paul Pierce, the first black coach uh, in Bill Russell, uh, seven-time WNBA All-Star and two-time Olympic gold medal in Yolanda Griffith, and seven-time WNBA All-Star and three-time WNBA Most Valuable Player of the Year, Lauren Jackson. Uh, previous finalists include, again, uh, that are in, in contention again this year are uh, the winningest high school coach, uh, Lita Andrews, five-time NBA All-Star Tim Hardaway, consensus collegiate player of the year, Marquise Johnson, four-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year, Ben Wallace, and five-time NBA All-Star Chris Webber. The nine new members of the 2020 NBA All-Star or Hall of Fame class and the 2021 class will be enshrined in May of this year. Who are your 2021 NBA Hall of Famers? Yeah, so, I mean, it's hard to look at the 2020 list and then uh, get as much excitement for the 2021 mm-hmm. finalists. I mean, Duncan mm-hmm. Garnett and Kobe, those are three of the, at least for our generation, three of the biggest names that we watched, you know, growing up. Um, and, of course, with Kobe Bryant and the craziness that happened and, you know, rest in peace for him, you know, this this past calendar year, year and a half um, now, or year and a month Um it's hard to get excited about some of these other names, but you know, I'll just start with my main pick and it's got to be the truth. Paul Pierce. I mean, looking at that list of players, you know, I think for political reasons, not to take away from their accomplishments, I think we'll definitely see, you know, Yolanda Griffith. We'll see Lauren Jackson, Lita Andrews. I think absolutely they deserve to be in, so just to get them, you know, their recognition that they'll be they'll be in for sure. Bill Russell, I think, will be in for sure. But if we're talking about like NBA, these guys dominated during their time. You know, Paul Pierce was the core of that Boston Celtics team. I hated him at the time because every time the Magic would play Boston, he would go off. He had a great shot, great fadeaway, thirty point a you know thirty point per game player. Um, and it w- really wasn't until he went up to the booth and I listened to him talk and, you know, give his analysis of the game that I really come to respect him. Of course, I was like 12 when I was watching him play. So I was just like, man, this guy's scoring all kinds of points on my team all the time. So I didn't like him, but, um, you know, he was a great player and, uh, you know, his, you know, NBA finals, MVP, 10 time NBA all-star, like you said, uh, he was dominant and, you know, that's why they call him the truth. But I think he's probably the leading name of this 2021 uh, list. Um, I think they probably put Ben Wallace and Chris Webber in as well, but certainly not as a decorated and, you know, dominant career as, as Paul Pierce. So the NBA or the, I guess it's actually the basketball hall of fame. Right. It's, it's, a, all, it's, yeah. it's a little bit different than some traditional sports like the NFL where, you know, NFL, the scope of work is kind of limited to your body as a, uh, your career as a professional, whereas basketball, they look at you know, certain, to a certain extent, your high school, your collegiate, you know, records, and and then you're you're of course your professional. Um, and like you said, this year's class, it's hard to get as excited for as last year's class. Last year's class, you know, just with the top three alone, it's just like a wow kind of kind of feeling with those guys. Um, but I, I broke my picks down into. In the two groups, kind of the sure thing, and then I thought, you know, the could-be's. So, my, like you said, 
Paul Pierce, I think, is a sure thing. You know, that guy is decorated, you know, all over the place. He's only got the one uh, championship, you know, which certainly hurts him. But uh, but I still think he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Pierce ranks third in terms of Celtics uh, win shares behind Russell and Larry Bird. Uh, he's ninth most in NBA in NBA history for three-pointers. Um, top 25 in both uh, win shares and overall value over a replacement players. So it's kind of a metric of a how many how much you contribute to a win, and then you know if how well you are compared to someone who's coming off the bench. So it just kind of shows that he's kind of been up there for his entire career. Um, I, I think that Chris Bosh is probably a sure thing for me too. I know he narrowly missed the cut last year, uh, but I, I think that he's one of those guys who uh, didn't really get the kind of respect he, he kind of deserved in, in Toronto and then certainly in Miami playing with Dwayne Wade and LeBron. He was kind of like the third seat, but certainly he's you know a very decorated player uh, you know in all three levels as professional, collegiate, and, and high school. Um, he won an Olympic gold medal in 2008. Unfortunately, you know, Bosch's career was cut short due to his blood issue, uh, which kind of forced him out of, out after 13 years. So, I think he is one that could have stayed and kind of solidified his his um, numbers. But I, I think that his body of work still puts him in for me this year. Uh, Yolanda Griffith, um, she's just you know seven-time WNBA All-Star, two-time Olympic gold medalist. Uh, You've done it on all levels, international and in professional. So I think that she's, you know, kind of a no-brainer for me. Bill Russell, you know, Bill Russell made the, the Hall of Fame as a player. Right. Uh, and then I think he's going to do it again as a coach. Uh, you know, he followed up a, a legendary Boston Celtics coach in Red Arbach. You know, became a, a player coach, uh, you know, became the first black head coach in the NBA and then goes on to win – you know, back-to-back NBA championships in the 68 and 69. Um, he's got to be in for, just on that accomplishment alone. Um, so I, I think I'm going to put him in. And I'm also going to put in Rick Edelman. Uh, he's been in the league 30 years. Uh, he's, you know, 5.8 winning percentage. Uh, he's reached the playoffs 16 to 23 years. You know, he's been to two NBA finals. He's ranked ninth all time in career wins, including two 60 win seasons and 11 50 win seasons. So I think he's a, he's a proven winner and, uh, and I think that he'll, he'll make it in. Uh, my could be's I'm going to put Lauren Jackson. I, I think that, uh, comparing Yolanda and Lauren, they're, they're very similar, but you know, Yolanda's got those two gold medals. Whereas, uh, Lauren's got three silvers, so I, I think that she's going to just have to wait a year. Um, she'll probably make it in next year. Uh, and then to me, Chris Webber, five-time All-Star, uh, 1994 NBA Rookie of the Year. I, you know, member of the Fab Five in Michigan. He, you know, he went on to have a very kind of dynamic career as a forward in his first couple of years, and then he had these persistent knee problems that kind of robbed him of maybe a more decorated career. Uh, so I think that he's a guy who's on that cusp and probably should be, but I don't, I don't know if he will. Uh, and 
to be honest, going forward into the next couple of years, I don't know that I see his his chances kind of improving. Um, what tips it for me is kind of looking at the Kings in retrospect. Um, certainly they didn't, you know, have the greatest success there when he was there. Uh, they had six playoff trips. But in looking at how little the franchise has done since his departure in 2004, I think it kind of puts into perspective the impact that he had on that team and in the franchise. So we'll have to see. Uh, I think they're going to announce the finalists or the, or the, the class the, during the Final Four this year. So we'll, we'll see how right we are. Uh, one, one thing I noted, though, that the NBA Hall of Fame – they add like nine players in every year, whereas in like the NFL, it's only like four, five maybe. So I find that. I think probably that has to do with the fact that they're including multiple play play le- levels of play. You know, this whole M- you got WNBA, you got the NBA, you got collegiate True. coaching. I mean, NFL includes coaching too, but I mean, I think with all that combined, that's probably where you're getting that higher number. Um, but all right, well, switching gears once again over to the diamond. Um, we got some minor league guinea pigs. After a loss of a full season due to the coronavirus pandemic, the minor league baseball minor league baseball is returning, although with fewer uh, forty fewer affiliated teams. Sweeping changes hit minor league baseball uh, in its dormancy due to issues both caused or exacerbated by the pandemic. In an effort to boost TV interest, the MLB announced a set of experimental rule changes which will be instituted throughout the different minor league levels in 2021. Some of those changes include larger bases, going from a 15-inch to an 18-inch base, a minimum of four infielders being required to be within the infield dirt, pitchers not being allowed to pick off from the rubber, a cap on pickoff attempts, robot umpires, and a pitch clock. Logan, if one of these were to be instituted into the big league, big leagues, which one would you uh, most like to see? So, looking at these rule changes, it's pretty evident that you know Major League Baseball is looking for ways to kind of increase excitement, uh, trying to bring back stolen bases, which I'm all for. Uh, I remember the excitement that guys like Ricky Henderson brought to the game. So, you know, I'm I'm all for a lot of these to be going to be instituted going forward. But really, the the bold attempt that I like is to keep four infielders inside the infield dirt. Uh, Baseball's kind of seen this defensive shift where infielders are dropping back, um, you know, kind of allowing the outfielders to play even deeper, and it just kind of makes the game very defensive. Which, in you know, my opinion, as not a big baseball fan, is boring to watch. So, I like to see them make that that kind of rule change to make it more. Um, score heavy, more exciting, uh, you know, watch those balls drop in between the two, uh, you know, infield and outfield. So I would like to see this change incorporated. I'd like to say the one thing I don't want to see is the robot umpires. Um, I know this has kind of been in the works for several years and in different forms, but I, I don't want to see them take the human umpire out of the game. I'm okay if it's a tool to assist the umpires, but I really don't want to see them get rid of that. I, I, I know that it's probably fair and maybe a little more even, but I, I just I like that human impact. 
Yeah, same. I think every sport has to have some type of human element. We've seen it develop in every single sport, whether it be football, baseball, hockey, basketball, the institution of instant replay, you know, baseball being the, you know, nation's greatest pastime and the, the arguably, you know, oldest sport in the country. You know, these baseball enthusiasts see all these changes as blasphemy. Um, you know, the, the pitch clock that was instituted a few years ago, um, kind of just threw everybody for a loop and I know it was a big ordeal. I would agree with you. I think the biggest things I would like to see is the four infielders in the dirt, just because, you know, I really don't, I understand it's a coaching decision to shift the, the offense, but I agree with you, you know, baseball is already a sport that takes multiple hours to play a nine inning game. Um, you know, more offense, of course, means longer games, but I also think it means more excitement. So I think, you know, keeping four in, infielders in the dirt would be a good, you know, change. I mean, you look at other sports, you know, in, in the NFL, you have to have seven guys on the line of scrimmage. It's kind of the same thing, you know, from a, a um, you know, ideological standpoint. Um, in hockey, you can't go offside. So, I mean, they have different rules that already dictate player um, positioning in other sports. So why not in baseball? Um, and then this is the unpopular opinion, but I wouldn't mind seeing a pitch clock. Nothing, something that's not completely unreasonable, but I mean, I would love to watch baseball and I would love to watch as many games as possible, but I don't always have four hours mm -hmm. at eight o'clock on a Tuesday night to watch the entire game. So that's just the reality of it. So those would be some things I like to see. I'm not really sure what a larger base of three inches is going to do, but <laughs> I mean, let's do it. It, it. You know, it's a, a safe easier thing. To it's easier to, you know, the, the, the defender can't block the entire bag kind of thing. But yeah, I agree. Anything to kind of speed up. Have you seen Aaron Judge? That's <laughs> true. I, I'm with you though. Anything to speed up baseball is, is greatly welcomed. Uh, pitch counts, limiting the number of pickoff attempts, all for any of that stuff. But I think the most impactful thing is, is still the infielders. So. Right. Well, let's get to a little bit of madness, March madness, that is. Um, so the NCAA tournament begins Friday, and the field of 68 teams, which includes the four play-in teams, has been set. Um, as in all sports, this year of NCAA basketball has been subject to the COVID-19 pandemic with several teams withdrawing from conference tournaments with positive tests, uh, which of course in turn impacts the field. Um, for the first time since 1976, neither Duke nor Kentucky have been invited to the big dance. The cherry on top, these teams, uh, including Duke and Louisville, have declined to even play in the NIT tournament. Uh, marking a very unusual year where Duke basketball will have no tournament play. Uh, with that being said, your number one seeds going into the tur tournament are Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Michigan. We talked about Gonzaga uh, last week with their undefeated streak going into the tournament. Um, since 2010, seven of the ten winners have been the number one seed. Uh, the highest seed to win, or the lowest seed to win, being Number seven, Connecticut in 2014. So, Logan, who do you have cutting down the nets and raising the national championship this year? So in our last sports cast, you know, we I took the field, I think you did too, over Gonzaga. So I'm going to stick true to that. 
Um, and I'm going to say that my final four consists of two number one seeds and two number two seeds. I've got Iowa coming out of the west. I've got Alabama out of the east. i got Baylor from the south and Illinois and from the midwest. And I'm going to take Illinois to, to, to win the whole thing this year. Um, certainly it's not the boldest of predictions, but, you know, uh, they're the number three seed. Um, they're led by two All-Americans, you know, but they've, they've played pretty exceptional basketball the last, you know, stretch of the, of the season. Um, but they don't have an easy path. They have to take on uh, Loyola, which is, a, I think, an underrated team. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech, who's certainly been playing well. Uh, and, and they could see, you know, Oklahoma State, who's got, you know, probably the number one overall NBA draft pick in Cunningham uh, in the Sweet 16. They may run to them. So certainly it's a tough path, but I think when you kind of play those tough teams, it, it, it kind of makes you play better uh, in the next game as well. Uh, you know, Gonzaga is going to get everyone's number one kind of look and, and best. Everyone wants to upset them, so they're going to they're going to play tough and they're going to play like they have nothing to lose. So it, it's tough to win every game. Um, but so I'm going to take Illinois. How about you? Yeah, you know, kind of taking my answer here, but I've, I'm actually taking Illinois as well. I just think that. You know, of all the teams, you know, they're coming from the Big Ten, which has vastly improved in basketball over the past five years. Um, Dwayne Washington Jr. has just been absolutely on fire this year for Illinois, you know, averaging 32 points a game, eight rebounds. Um, you know, he's been the one of the, like you said, they're led by two All-Americans, but he's become kind of the lifeblood of that team. Um, going into the tournament undefeated, that kind of just makes me a little concerned for any team. And we talked about that last week. So I think Gonzaga kind of, for a lack of any other better reason, you know, that I kind of take them out of the running just for, for that reason. But, you know, this is such a crazy year. Most teams playing less than 20 total games, even if, you know, some of them not even hitting 15 total games um, this year. This is such a, a toss up. Um, you know, and the question is, who's coming into the tournament, right? You know, on a hot streak. The Big Ten's got to be the conference to look for. Michigan, Illinois, Iowa. You know, even Purdue, Ohio State has a chance. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the Fighting Illini um, are probably the hottest team coming into the tournament. Lots of hype. Could cut both ways, but I'm going to take them. Uh, but I do have personal stakes in this tournament, so go UF. Go Gators and go Orange. Syracuse, the the team that always comes in mediocre and makes their way to the elite elite eight somehow. So, uh, personally pulling for them, but uh, I'll take Illinois. Yeah, I want to I want to track back to to Michigan, like you said. I think they had a very good chance to uh, to be real contenders this year. Unfortunately, that uh, that injury to uh, uh, livers, you know, is just a uh, that's a that's a killer, and I think that's you know, really a team that could have made a splash um, this year. Uh, certainly, I think that makes our, our uh, one of our fans first and pretty happy to hear, but uh, it also kind of kind of hurts that uh, they're not going to be able to uh, be 100% this year. Uh, I think this year we may see, you know, a lot of upsets, you know, kind of like what you talked about with teams only playing 15 games, so it's kind of hard to you know, see how some of these teams really kind of 
could have been if they played a full season? How strong could they have gotten? Because certainly, I think playing games makes you a better team. There's no substitute for game. Uh, practice is good, but it's not the same as playing in a game. So um, I think there's just more opportunity to uh, to kind of upset this year, particularly, you know, maybe in the round of 32 or 16. Uh, you know, we'll, maybe we'll see a, a, a Final Four team that's kind of lower than what we both kind of think. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Please just somebody beat Alabama. <laughs> So we're going to go to our Who You Got. The Washington football team and Chicago Bears both kicked off free agency by signing veteran quarterbacks to matching one-year $10 million contracts. Washington inked Fitzmagic, while the Bears are locked and loaded to go with the red rifle Andy Dalton. Both these guys should enter training camp as a predicted starter for their teams. Brian, which team made the better signing? Is it crazy for me to say Fitzpatrick? Because I, I really think it's Fitzpatrick. Just because I saw what Andy Dalton did in Dallas last year, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt coming into that season, not knowing the playbook. But the same thing is going to happen here in Chicago. He needs to learn the entire offensive philosophy. And uh, I just think that Fitzpatrick has the bigger upside still. Um, if Dalton couldn't make it work with all the talent that Dallas had on that offense last year, I don't see him doing better with Chicago. So I'm going with fits yep you're right here uh the bears signing dalton was kind of perplexing to me i know they took a shot on on putting together a package for wilson but the the seattle kind of just said man get out of here uh so i kind of fell flat and you know i'm not a fan of him signing the red rifle you know he's he was not good in in dallas They've already got, really bad. Yeah, like, like not even close to good. If this was last year, going into last year, I definitely would have said Andy Dalton was the better signing over Fitzpatrick. Uh, but one year removed, we've seen just Fitzpatrick continue to get better. Dalton looks like hot garbage. You know, the Bears already have two mediocre veteran quarterbacks and Nick Foles and Trubisky already. So I think uh, the Trubisky experiment is is officially over. They're probably going to try to move him. I think they just wanted a quarterback for each down. Yeah, there you go. We'll see who does the best. Yeah, uh, that would be an interesting strategy, I guess. But uh, so I, I like Fitzpatrick. Yeah, you know, you know my stake in him and how I viewed him last year. Um, he's a fun guy to watch. He's a smart guy. He's a, still a solid quarterback. I still think he should have retired and gone into coaching with his stock being all-time high, but he'll make a great player coach. Uh, I think he's better than the incumbents in, in Heineke and in Kyle Allen. But with that said, in his 16 years in the league, Fitzpatrick has never made it to the playoffs. He's the He has the most starts and the, the most victories in, as a quarterback in the NFL, but he's never made it to the playoffs. Um, He's been with eight different teams. At the end of each of those 10 years, he's had a losing record. So while I like him, my fear is that Washington, who was a playoff team last year, somehow regresses with Fitzpatrick, and they missed the playoffs this year. Um, I do think that Ron Riviera is going to be able to focus a little bit more. He's not going to worry about every time his quarterback goes under center that he's going to break his leg. Um but I think that I think that Washington's going to have a fallback. I, I do think that you know uh, 
Miami's defense let Fitzpatrick play a little bit more recklessly, which worked out for him. Certainly, you've been there with Fitzpatrick, and I've been there with Fitzpatrick. We know there's games where he goes and he has five touchdowns and he looks just fucking amazing. And then there's those games where he's on ESPN for the wrong reason because he threw four tu- four interceptions in uh, you know ten throws. So it, it's a consistency for him. I think that he'll do a good job in in being that player coach, but. Uh, certainly, he's just a stopgap to a a larger plan going forward. Yeah, well, I mean, I wish him all the luck. You know, I hope he does have a good year. That division is still up in arms, so God knows, you know, maybe the five and eleven Redskins make the playoffs. So, I don't know. Is <laughs> anything's it, possible. Is it still as much up in the air? I know last year it certainly was, but with that coming back, I think that he, yeah, it's he's definitely still up in the air. He certainly makes them the front runner. Dallas the front runner. We'll see. Is he, yeah. I'll, I'll let you know after week one. I got to see him play. All right. All right. Fair enough. But uh, that brings us to this day in sports history, a very fitting day in sports history for today's date. Uh, back in 2019, Irishman Roy McElroy won the Players' Championship, beating Jim Furyk by one stroke. At the time, the $2.25 million payout was the largest prize in golf history. This year, McElroy missed the cut at the Players' Championship, stating that chasing uh, DeChambeau's, uh, DeChambeau's power has cost him his swing. How convenient. Anywho, this has been the Sideline Sportscast. Uh, thank you guys for joining us tonight. Again, Sidelines Casters on Twitter and Facebook. We'd love to get more uh, interactive uh, interaction with you guys, suggestions, your take on our topics, post, and we will reply. But uh, thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, until next time.